Sample of another one bites the dust. Yeah. <laughs> another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. Hey, hey. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I can handle singing. <laughs> Why well, he always sings? He's been Not singing. Always. He hasn't been singing lately. Well, I don't know. That's a good thing. I guess. I'm making <laughs> chains again. David, why have you not been singing I'm making, lately? I'm making a list of intro songs. I see. Okay. Just be careful with you. Yeah, I know. Really, really. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if I want to play that game or not. So, I just came back. I've been away all week long in uh, Pennsylvania. Yippee. Um, yippee Kaye. And, uh, and I flew back. I mean, there's nothing really significant about this story. It's just kind of uh, talking about flying. Um, I, uh, you know, it's always a crapshoot. I always get a window seat, if at all possible, because I like to look out the window to watch the ground and look at the sights and so forth. And, uh, but, of course, it's always a crapshoot whether you're going to pick the right side, you know. And, and I don't know about you, but I actually kind of try and think, think about it when I'm reserving my flight. You know, it's like, well, let's see now. Should I be on the left side of the airplane for this one or the right side of the airplane? I always want to be on the left side, the pilot side. Okay. And that's just because you're more comfortable over there? or? Well, I figure, you know, if, if they're going to hit something, maybe <laughs> the pilot will kick a little left rudder and take out the co-pilot side. <laughs> I see. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll keep that in mind next time I go flying with you, just, I guess. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah okay. So, um, but on my flight, so I just came back from Pittsburgh uh, on uh, two different legs, and uh, Pittsburgh to Philadelphia, and then Philadelphia to Manchester, New Hampshire. And uh, one, two tickets to where? No, never probably, mind. You could have probably hijacked. I mean, it's hijacked. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, um, <laughs> what? <laughs> um. um <laughs> You could probably just, you know, thumbed your way. Yeah, well, that's how basically how that's basically how I got there. But, uh, but I uh, guess right. But- My point here is that I guessed right on where I should sit on the airplane. I sat on the right side on both si- both uh, legs, and I got some just awesome. It's a beautiful. It was a beautiful day up here in the Northeast today. Uh, it was just dead clear, and uh, um, you know you got the remnants of the fall foliage. But I got this gorgeous uh, view of uh, downtown Pittsburgh as we were taking off out of Pittsburgh's airport. And then flying across the uh, the Appalachian Mountains, we got some really cool views of a, of a lot of the mountains and the ridge lines and so forth. And then we did this great approach into uh, Philadelphia, where we, I actually we actually flew all the way around the city in right turns. So I got to see uh, the city of Philadelphia from all from uh, 270 degrees. Uh, 
you know, that was pretty spectacular. And uh, and then on the final leg, uh, taking off out of Philadelphia and arriving, we flew up the coast, so I was watching the shoreline all the way up the uh, coast. I didn't get to see New York City. I guess that would have been the ultimate if I'd been if I'd seen New York City as well. The left side. Didn't see New York City. We sort of went right overhead JFK and crossed, uh, crossed Long Island and then up over, uh, I guess, Bridgeport or something like that and up over western connecticut but uh but we did the same kind of 270 arrival into uh uh right 270 arrival if you will into manchester so i got a view of the manchester area and uh and down into my landing so it was kind of a fun flight i mean as as uh, airline travel goes it was a it was an okay day and uh you know, the irony is that I had we had done this route the other direct the other way on, by land earlier in the week, and that was an adventure in itself. Not an aviation story, but we drove from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh on uh, Wednesday, and uh, and in the middle of that drive, we drove through what was basically blizzard conditions. Uh, well, actually, not I blizzard. Con- I guess blizzard yeah. conditions would be colder than this, but it was nasty. I mean, especially for October snow. We were going over the high point in the Appalachians, and it was just snowing hard, and uh, I mean, there was there was five or six inches of snow on the ground for portions wow. of the drive. And- how, how long had you been in rain before you got into before it turned to snow most of the day it was raining when we were leaving philadelphia and uh and it was sort of combination alternately raining and snowing when we got to pittsburgh it was actually snow in pittsburgh um throughout that day and even after we arrived on wednesday we were driving a a mid-size probably like a 15 foot ish uh penske uh box box truck and uh filled up with all our all our computer gear and uh oh great great snowmobiles Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that was really worried about. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about because I drove. This is. I think I talked about this in the podcast about a year ago when I drove this base, uh-huh. the same truck back from Rochester, New York, in a in a in a uh, in a uh, blizzard. blizzard, and uh, had had plenty of actual icing on the truck. Uh, <laughs> I remember you too. Yeah, yeah. and uh, this was the same truck. So yeah, I didn't want to drive in snow in this truck. Oh, but we got a we got a new nickname here, Blizzard Jack. Blizzard Jack. Okay. I don't so. think Jack's really in the nicknames, but I'm just guessing. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. But, uh, what makes you say that? I, I, I'm just, it's just a speculative <laughs> statement on my just part. That, but but talking, talking about flying over New York, I had the opportunity, gosh, it's been 15, 20 years now. I was coming back from um, New Haven mm-hmm. uh, around Labor Day. A Labor Day weekend and uh, VFR, and I was going to go around uh, the New York Bravo, and I'm talking to New York Approach, and uh, I said something about, yeah, I'll go ahead and go around, you know, to the west and stay out of your Bravo. And he says, well, dude, you're at 8500, you can go direct wherever you want to do. I said, you sure? I said, yeah, you're you're above the the Bravo. I said, "Oh, okay, cool, cool." So I was. This was back in the days of Loran. So I just punched in direct on the Loran and started motoring on, and went right over the top of Manhattan, right over the top of Central Park. Um, just, just you know, clear, clear skies. Um, just an amazing little flight. I bet it's a hell of a view on a yeah. clear day flying up it, that corridor. 
Yeah. It really is. It yeah. really is. Yeah, it was pretty spectacular today, although all I could see up the coastline was out over the coast. But I, I was watching the uh, the barrier islands along the coast and the beach line and the uh, boats and ships out at sea. And uh, and then we crossed Long Island. And uh, it was it was it was not a bad flight as as airline flight go. So that was that was my day today. And uh, good. And uh, that was good. I've done a lot of flying lately. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on in the podcast. But uh, I've been having a fun time, um, you know. Doing a lot more flying up here in in New England than, I, than I'd been doing in a while. So, uh, how's yeah. the weather holding out? I mean, seasonal. Well, things. apparently it was pretty. Like I said, I've been gone for almost for five or six days. Uh, I get the feeling it snowed here very briefly uh, while I was away. But when I returned today, it was sixty degrees. It was beautiful here today, and uh, um, I don't know what the forecast is for tomorrow. I'm back now for three days, and then I go away again for another three days. But. Uh, um, where, where are you going next week? Next week I go to Albany, New York, back on the ground again, and uh, and then that's the last of this really insane sequence of travel, and I've got it be, kind of becomes more of an every other week thing for a while, and uh, um, so, anyways, well. Anyways, we better get this thing started officially, and we'll do that by having me say, Welcome, folks, to episode number 106 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on, uh, let's see if I've got this right, Friday evening, October 31st, 2008. It's Halloween. Halloween. It's Halloween. So, And I don't know, you know, see, this is my first Halloween here in Dover, New Hampshire, and I don't know if the kids... You know, do they do this where you guys live? It's like they kind of arbitrarily pick a night and they say, "This is the night we're going to do trick or treat," which strikes me as wrong. I mean, it's like well, when I was when I was of of the age, um, you know, Halloween had just been invented. It was that long. Ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> we would sometimes go out on the thirtieth for some reason. Yeah. Where I uh, grew up, we called it Beggar's Night. Yeah, that's what they Man. do. One one of the towns here. Uh, we went out on the 30th, and then on the 31st was when people actually held Halloween parties. Uh-huh. So you didn't have trick-or-treating conflicting with the parties. Yeah, well, that's interesting. That's what, And that's what someone told me about one of the towns. Rochester, the next town over, had their trick-or-treat last night. And so I have no idea whether someone's going to knock on my door um, while we're doing this podcast. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, time I, will I, tell. Back time when will. I was... You know, back when I was trick or treating, the concept of having a party was a very foreign one because I was so young. Right now, of course, it's you know a little bit different. But uh, no, I, 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 I entirely new to reason. That's right. Yeah, um, I don't remember many of the Halloweens that I've encountered as a consequence. But um, <laughs> the uh, the concept of doing it on different nights was was always out there. At least when I was really young. Really. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, I don't know either. Strikes it's, it's me as weird. odd. Strikes me as odd. Yeah. So, anyways, I've 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 turned off all the lights, all the porch that's, lights, and everything. That's the trick is turn off all the lights. You know, and uh, and then if yeah. somebody knocks at the door, I'm just going to ignore them and hunker uh, yeah. down with a bottle and, and uh, yeah, that's right, that's right. Hey, I better say hi to my friends here in the hangar, just so everyone knows who's whoa, whoa, whoa. who. You have friends? Why yeah. Did, why were we for him? Uh, yeah, I know. I that's, I call you guys my friends. Should have warned us. Should have warned us. Oh man. <laughs> that's Dave Higdon, and Dave is joining us from Wichita, Kansas. How you doing? David, doing okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, getting ready to go out tonight and uh, look at a little art, drink a little wine, and uh, get prepared for uh, what is it? Los Dios de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. Day of the holiday. Dead. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, that's why we're doing this. We're doing this on Friday because uh, because I was away. And uh, but David, it's date night for David, so we. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, it just doesn't well, seem right. Fine. It doesn't it's seem right. Fine. 
Friday gallery night here in Wichita. Uh, I see. Okay. doesn't seem fair that the one of us who's actually married is the one who gets to go on dates. I I have no constructive response to any of that. (laughs) And that's Jeb Burnside. Jeb's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you? I'm fine. I'm I'm a little envious, but I'm fine. Uh Uh, uh, Great weather down here this week. Um, Just just really couldn't ask for anything better. Now, this was your second Halloween in Sarasota. I seem to recall we talked about this last year, and you were, like, throwing stones at the kids or something like that. Or, yeah. I I was not throwing stones, um, but the uh, BB gun did get exercised. <laughs> okay. Kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. Um, actually, this, this neighborhood really only has, um, uh, this street, I should say, it's a dead-end street, only has uh, really one set of kids. Uh, two girls, and they live next door, and they know better. <laughs> you've, you've sufficiently... <laughs> they, they know scary all year long. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm up here at UCAP World Headquarters in Dover, New Hampshire. So, uh, Now, I, I sort of alluded to this. I'll just warn our listeners. Um, we've been we, Dave's, Dave's internet connection is actually doing a little bit better tonight than it had been. We've been just fighting a pitched battle with this, or Dave has, anyway. We're going to get I, back to dial-up. Yeah, I sent it. I sent it flowers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's making nice with the. I don't think he's, making nice is the way old, to do it. His, his connection is about to sleep with the fishes. That's right. So uh, I, we're going to try and try and try and tough it out here and see if we can hear Dave tonight. But but like last week, if necessary, we may pause and bring him back up on a regular telephone. But uh, we'll we'll see how this works. Anyways, work in progress. That's right. So what's in the news here? I want one of these. Um, the. Uh, of anything it's been a slow week hasn't it well a little bit but that don't stop us yeah yeah so i got a uh, or i don't know exactly how i came across this whether they sent me email or i saw it on a website but garmin has is it just a new announcement this new garmin 696 hey it's i'm sure going to be available for sale at aopa next week now this is oh, yeah. uh, this is very much up your alley jeb this is the flat panel uh, tablet yeah. kind of uh, yeah. uh GP- this is this is kind of the the uh, electronic flight bag for for GA. Now, is it uh, is it fair to say that it's basically just you know like their other GPSs, but with the big screen? No, 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 it's no. not. No. All right, one of you describe it, it to me a little bit. Well, the, first of all, the screen is much bigger. Right. It, it's on the order of, um, in I don't know, uh, it's on the order of a tablet uh, PC. In other words, it's about the size. The screen, anyway, is about the size of an approach plate book. Um, they say it's a seven-inch portrait screen, uh, which makes it actually a little smaller, I would guess, than an approach plate book. Um, but uh, in the same in, in the same orientation, i.e., vertically oriented, um, it has GPS built into it, of course. It has a moving map built into it, of course. It has. Um, I'm looking at the press release. Uh, Garmin flight charts, an electronic version of the um, NACO terminal procedures publication. In other words, all the approach procedures. Um, With flight charts, pilots can quickly find all NACO departure procedures, standard terminal arrival routes, approach charts, and airport diagrams. Um, It also has a receiver for XM radio and XM weather. Okay. Let's see, what else does it have? Smart airspace, smart or safe taxi, AOPA airport directory data. Um, Basically, it's, um, I don't know if they can cram anything else into this. Mm -hmm. 
uh, as far as bells and whistles are concerned. Um, as it happens, uh, I will be very lucky and and actually fly one of these tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah. Uh, That's uh, cool. Do, doing some work for Aviation Consumer, and they're getting one shipped in, and we're going to go out and get in the airplane and go fly it, see what happens. Yeah. If, I, you, if you never hear from me again, eh. It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> Okay, but I'm sure I'm sure that's not going to happen. Now you yeah, X, XM radio XM weather combination, uh-huh. uh, you know, really turns it to that and the charting functions really right. turns this into an all-purpose flight that's, bag tool. Exactly, uh, that's what distinguishes it. For example, from the uh, the Samsung Q1 roll your own electronic flight bag that I've been I've been playing with. Um, I, for example, I don't have GPS on it. I don't have a moving map per se on it, uh, or at all for that matter. Um, I don't have XM uh, radio or XM weather on it. Uh, now I do have all that on a 396, uh, but I I still don't have, uh, and I can, you know, set up approaches kind of sorta on the 396. It doesn't have the actual, uh, approach plates in it. Uh, You can plug in all the waypoints. Right, right. So you've got um, a functional... And, and follow along. Uh, and just as the 396 is not going to be legal as the only... Just as the 396 is not legal as the only navigation source for approaches, neither is the 696, for that matter. But, yeah. uh, but it's still a great product. The, uh, the it's It's got a nice price tag on it. Um, um, well, that, that bears pointing out that uh, all of this... They're quoting thirty three hundred bucks, uh-huh. uh, approximately thirty two ninety five. Now, how does that compare to you like Jeb? You, you don't want or need the XM weather and uh, like music, uh, right? you can take about six hundred bucks off that price and get it without, right? But uh, it is not upgradable later on. You can't yeah. go back and buy the antenna and uh, and the hardware. To, to get the XM stuff, it's just not built into the box. Yeah, right. they're, they're, they actually came out with two models: the GPS map six nine or five and the six nine or six. The six nine or five does not have uh, XM radio, uh, XM radio or XM weather, uh, while the six ninety six does. And actually, it's um, exactly six hundred dollar price delta between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, just to, for comparison, Jeb, you have what a four ninety six, right? Is that what you have in your airplane? I have a three ninety six. You have three ninety six in your airplane. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know if they sell the three ninety six these days. But what what did do. what did that cost? How does it compare price wise? Um, well, let's uh, let's real quick go look because uh, I'd really have to kind of look at the uh, um, the MSRPs. Uh, mine was. Um, a refurbished model, mm-hmm. uh, so I and I did not pay uh, retail for it, so I don't know what uh, it costs. Let's see if I can portables. Let's see, three ninety six, well, three ninety six. Yes, they still market the three ninety six. They still market the two ninety six mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. Um, and it, it'd be a worthwhile comparison to a four ninety six in particular. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I'm just kind of that's really the closest equation in terms of full functionality, and those on the street are about twenty three hundred dollars to twenty four hundred dollars. So you're talking about a grand here to get a whole lot of additional functionality and about four times the screen real estate. Uh-huh. 
Right. And, and that's, you know, if there's any complaint about uh, the 396, 496 that I might have, uh, it's kind of a love-hate relationship. Um, you want it to be bigger, um, but you understand why it's the size it is. Um, you kind of want more screen real estate. You want the buttons, you know, arranged maybe a little bit differently and all that kind of thing. Then, of course, you want it smaller and lighter um, so that it's easier to mount in the in the cockpit or easier to place in the cockpit. Um all in all, the, the 396, 496 form factor is, is a good compromise. Yeah. Uh, you know, clearly, clearly Garmin uses, uses that same basic hardware for other products in, in their uh, uh, highway and, and, and marine divisions. Um, and in fact, you know, if, if you're a cheap SOB like some people can be, uh, you could buy a street version uh, of the product uh, and probably get weather with it. Um, for a lot less money, but you wouldn't have any of the aviation functions. Not coincidentally, the 496 and the 396 also do street uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, work well, also, uh, in addition. Th- so. That sort of leads me to the question I wanted to ask you guys, and, and I'll apologize in advance if I'm kind of blindsiding you here, but um, you do follow these things better than I do. It, what would be the sort of entry-level pilot's gps these days you know so you got a pilot like me who's a, a an active uh vfr only pilot um it, what what are the the decent units sort of in the lower end can you get a decent one sub one thousand dollars these days i think so yeah the, the well for example garmin still sells the 196 mm-hmm. which is the monochrome version of the 296 i don't know you know how much they're they're asking for it let me just go to um Sporties or something, or uh, uh, aircraft spruce, real quick, get some street prices. Um, but you know, if you want to buy a new one, that's uh, as, uh, uh, probably about as good as it all gets. That said, Jack, for you, I've got a Garmin 195 that's been used maybe five hours. 195, 196. One, 195. What's a 195? It's, it's a different form factor. It's um, kind of like a, um, uh, an early cell phone, an early um, all con- you know all-in-one cell phone, not a bag phone and not a car phone. I uh, remember those old Motorola. Yeah, yeah. Cell phones? Uh-huh. yeah. It's it's a little bit smaller than that and a little bit lighter than that, but it's all self-contained. Uh, there's no external antenna or any of that nonsense that I recall. Um, Maybe there is, um, but uh, it, it's only it's only grayscale. It's not color. I'll give you that if you need one. Just just take care of it and give it back to me when you're finished. Yeah, well, not. Oh, I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a picture of it now in the garments. So, well, maybe. I I have to admit I've been sort of toying the idea of getting something that was color. I actually have a real. Uh, I mean, literally a ten or twelve year old Garmin. Um, pi- what is it called? A Pilot Two or something like a Pilot Three or whatever. Lawrence makes a great. Uh, uh, set of products also, and that was my other question. What other what other brands to Just look at? Looking at the Lawrence Two Thousand, for uh-huh. example, uh-huh. Uh, that's a five inch tablet style. Uh, not talking about all the same bells and whistles, yeah. but it does have you know the moving map, the GPS, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a WAS level GPS, mm-hmm. uh, five inch diagonal screen. It shows terrain height, uh, airspace, uh, roadways. Uh, 
uh, Gmini even shows an HSI or a uh, DG arc uh, right there on the screen. I don't know what the price is, but they make a smaller one that's also color, the 600C. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of options out there. Yeah. Uh, now, now Garmin, to answer your question, Jack, Garmin, the 196 mm-hmm. Street price, Aircraft Spruce has them for $695. Oh, really? Um, and the, they have a, a, if you want to get really uh, uh, inexpensive, Garmin 96, 96C, the 96C is color. Uh, the, the Bear 96 monochrome is 375 The color version of that is 495 Now, okay. neither, neither of those have XM weather or XM radio built into them. But well, they, that's, are, yeah. they are good, solid GPS, uh, you know, uh, uh, portable units. I'm not looking so much to simply save money. I just feel like the kind of flying I do, I don't want to pay for a lot of stuff that I really will never get any benefit out of. You know, well, and what's the two? Yeah, I'm looking at the two ninety six on my screen now. How does that fall if compare in the in the sort of food chain? The two ninety six was the first color unit. It's basically a color version of the one ninety six. It does not have uh, XM radio or XM weather. Um, probably a little bit faster processor. I don't think it has any of the uh, uh, maps or um, uh, air, I'm sure it doesn't have any of the uh, um, airport diagrams like the Between 496. the 396 and the 496, though, there's a 495 that's, that has the majority of the bells and whistles of the 496, but not the XM weather capability. Exactly. exactly. You can't add it yeah. later. Just yeah. like on the uh, 695, 690. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah, on the Lowrance product, um, you know, again, the Lowrance Air Map 2000C is is always been considered a solid unit. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, uh, I don't know what specifically what features it has. Um, looking here, um, it's, it's basically a tablet format. Uh, a form factor uh, unit. It is color. Um, it, it has a lot of a, a lot of decent features, a lot of great features, and the price is is phenomenal for a color unit that size. It's seven hundred dollars, six hundred ninety nine yeah. from Aircraft Spruce. Yeah. Well, this is some uh, good suggestions. I appreciate it. I'll, yeah. I'll have to give some of these some but, thought. You know, no. Again, you know, we'll talk offline. But if if you're looking for a handheld GPS, I'll give you my one ninety five. I haven't used it in ages, and uh, it's been lightly used. I just want it back at some point. When okay. Well, maybe in the short term, that's what I should do. I take you up on that until I decide what I want to buy more permanently, more, you know. But and, and, and as long as you can get new database information for it, uh, yeah. you know, all of its yeah. original functionality should uh, and, yeah. still as far be worthwhile. As, yeah, as far as I know, uh, yeah, I'm sure you can still get 195 database uh, updates. Uh, it's been a while since mine was updated because I just don't use it. Right. But uh, I'm sure they're still available. That sounds great. Well, um, brings up one last quickie. On, yeah. You know, when you're considering a unit like the 496 or the uh-huh. uh, 696, uh, there's a, a, a living with costs that goes beyond yes. the, uh, yes, the purchase price. If you want to keep, the, for example, the NACO charts up to date mm-hmm. and the chart function stops working after six months from the last update. Yeah. So, I mean, you won't get it oh, at all. Really? I was not aware of that. Yeah, I was no, not aware of that. The, it's in the specs uh, yeah. on the website. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but you do get six months with an update. Uh, uh-huh. 
but uh, there's also a monthly subscription fee for that XM uh, WX well, weather, and, and that's, uh, not not an ins- really, mm-hmm. that's not that, an that's not an insignificant actually, expense. No, I mean, it's I, not. I, yeah, I mean, for example, um, the I have a Garmin 530 in my airplane's panel, and the um, the annual subscription to the database updates for it is between three hundred and four hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, for the portable units, um, I'd have to go to Jefferson and 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 figure that out. Uh, let's see what the up that doesn't work. Uh, I have to go to Jefferson and figure that out. But it's you know a couple of three hundred dollars anyway mm-hmm. uh, for the for the Garmin portables. Um, the XM radio starts for both audio entertainment and and weather starts probably around forty to fifty dollars a month. A month, yeah. And I don't, you know, my subscription with XM covers, you know, more than one receiver, and and so I can't really break that out real handily for you. Yeah. Uh, well, that's good. It's well, useful information. Yeah, I pre- yeah, yeah, that's that's good. I'm I'm going to have to consider this. And for, some, for somebody that's doing serious flying, and when I sure. say serious, and I'm talking about somebody that's more than the average 50 hours a year, they're doing cross country, across time zones, and across big weather systems on a regular basis, uh, tools like this, like the 690 or any panel data link weather, which requires a monthly subscription as well, uh, you know, those aren't just conveniences. They're not just uh, perks or luxuries or, no, they're or not. neato widgets. They are lifesavers. Yeah. Not only are they lifesavers, but in this day and age, they're time and fuel savers. That's right. Uh, and... You know, I, I I wouldn't really want to go long distance cross country um, in my airplane without you know XM weather anymore. I, I got along without it just fine, but um, uh, I, was ex- I, I was exporting stomach acid on several occasions, <laughs> and and being able to see behind, see beyond That's what right. I'm looking at. Is is really uh, invaluable, and you know, oh, storm next, scope and weather yeah. data link, regardless of whose brand it is. Yeah. Storm scope's a great product. Uh, yeah, storm scope's a great product. It was especially a great product in the 1980s. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, and I, and, I, and I still have one in my airplane. Yeah, it's it's not coming out until it breaks, and and I spend some money to uh, to redo the panel. Um, but it's it's kind of there only these days, only to remind me how far we've come. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the XM weather, the next red presentation transmitted via satellite to the cockpit, is um, it's like the difference. What was the remember the old? Um, I can't even think of the old uh, um, comedy show. Um, but it's just a night and day difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Recently, flew a trip where the combination of a late model storm scope uh, with some bells and whistles that uh, are still fairly, and data link picture updated every five or six minutes, uh, let us do some pretty quick course correct. Yeah. Yeah. Until started getting chance about yeah. thirty miles ahead, and we could see through the radar picture. That the direction we needed to turn wasn't, you know, into the mall of the hammer and the anvil. Right. Uh, that's it's a real-time combination that, uh, you know, 
you can't always say, well, I'm just going to sit down and wait that out. Uh, once in a while, you're going to find it's there when it wasn't supposed to be. Yeah. That's yeah. when those tools will save your life. Yeah. And, and the Mark I Mod 1 eyeball is still the <laughs> yeah. best thunderstorm avoidance tool out there. Yeah. Um, but with with the ne- and it, and the next reds lied to me before. It's not a Garmin issue. It's not a Lawrence issue. It's 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 not a it's not a brand. It's not even XM issue. It's not a brand issue. It's just the, the way the next red itself works. Um, but next reds lied before. I mean, I can see, you know, a thunder bumper or, or a, a, a thunder shower. Perhaps not a full blown thunderstorm. I can see the thunder thunder shower with with the eyeball, and the the next red screen would be you know bare. It's like you know motor on through here, dude. And I'm sorry, I don't want to fly into that uh, that particular cloud. Um, the flip side of which is, you know, I've had you know the, the Strike Finder is is actually the product I have in my airplane. The Strike Finder um, sometimes will alert me. Um, to what it considers uh, uh, lightning strikes uh, when there's not a cloud uh, anywhere near the location it plots. And what I, what I find happens or has happened is there's a lot of turbulence in that yeah. air. Uh, and the turbulence is generating static electricity. And the, the strike finder, bless its little heart, is picking that up. Yeah. And uh, that's not necessarily a place I want to be either because of the bumps. Uh, no, when it's bumpy enough on a clear day to be right. generating signals right. on a on a spherics device, right? Uh, turning somewhere else is not a bad idea. Not yeah. a bad idea, and and we've you know there's been a lot of and I did a story for safety or consumer several uh, months ago, years ago, uh, on on the various on the, the topic of spherics, uh, which is the the uh, class of product we're talking about when we talk about storm scopes and strike finders. Uh, but um, neither um, uh, Ryan, which now has the, uh, the StormScope product line, nor StrikeFinder, uh, or I should say Insight, which has the StrikeFinder product line, will really go on the record and say that they are useful in avoiding turbulence in clear air. Uh, but the old, the old salts, if you will, who, who fly those and have flown them a lot, uh, have noticed the direct correlation. I, I'm not suggesting I'm an old salt, but I have noticed it also. Sure. Same yeah. here. Yeah. All right. Thank you. That's good information. I'm going to kind of do some research. And, Jeb, I may take you up on that uh, loaner yeah, unit for a while. Know, that would be a, a – No, I'll be – I'll package it up and ship it to you. And me, no a, that, that would be a great, at least, interim solution. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Moving on here. And uh, – well, now, through the magic of, uh, of uh, podcasting or, or audio editing or whatever, we're back. And, da- and Dave, we've shifted David over to a regular telephone because his... We are back to String Can V T 2.0. The inner, right. the inner tubes are clogged again tonight. That's right. That's right. It's a series of tubes. <laughs> that guy was in the news recently, by the way. Not an aviation oh, yeah. story, but uh, it's, a, it's a story for another day. Oh, he wasn't having a good week. Yeah. yeah. So... Uh, a good week next week, either. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, let's see now. Here's a story. Uh, this is uh, this is sort of an off-field landing of the week. All right. Uh, this is a story. Little, let's uh, see if I can if I can if I can pull out those st- tell the story in the right way. This is a from uh, uh, this is a gentleman by the name of Kerry Seabrook. I think is his name, and uh, it says on uh, this story. This is a story from uh, the Winnipeg Free Press uh, from August. 
from, it says August 9th, so I guess it was from a little while ago. It says on Friday, he had to swerve his Dodge Ram into a ditch around 2 p.m. to avoid being hit by a single-engine Cessna that uh, used Highway 8 as a runway when the pilot had engine trouble after takeoff. So this guy was driving his car down the road, and suddenly an airplane was landing. He had to swerve to get out of the way of an airplane having making an emergency oh, landing. I remember the story. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now the reason deja, this is notable deja vu. Exactly. The reason this is notable is that this same guy, Carrie Seabrook, uh, about uh, let's see now, twenty five years ago, was one of the kids playing uh, soccer or baseball or something um, on the field where the Gimli glider landed. This was the uh, the airliner that had an engine out and uh, and performed a legendary uh, a successful forced landing. And uh, he had to run out of the way that day, too, to not be hit by an aircraft uh, producing a or, or, or executing a uh, an emergency landing, a forced landing. I think this guy should have a TFR established around <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking something along that line, exactly. Exactly. It's he, like he, he should not be allowed, you know, out um, in good weather. Either that, you know, or you could just figure he's good for another twenty-five years now. You know, we'll check back well, when. That, he... There's that too. You know, how many times does something like this happen to somebody? That's that's it's really incredible. Yeah, that's... it is amazing and incredible. And if I was him, I'd be ordering a bubble and a force field. Well, I hope he learns how to fly sometime soon. Well, that just, oh, Jesus, all kinds of possibilities there. Huh? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, let me see if I can read a little bit more of this story. Uh, the, the aircraft's wingtip was about five feet away from me. This is a quote from uh, from Kerry. Uh, and I heard the chirp of the wheels right outside my window. The only thing I was focused on was the tip of the wing. That's all I could see. It says he was driving on Highway 8, just north of where the road shrinks to two lanes. When he saw the airplane flying low, he just... he just Nobody knows where that is. Yeah, right. Well, I'm sure if you read the Winnipeg Free Press, you know all about it here. The plane was heading west... Uh, and it, it turned towards the highway. Anyways, it's an interesting story. Congratulations to the pilot who landed successfully. Uh, and, and, and managed to hear, you know, managed to have um, our good friend Carrie here uh, hear the chirp of the wheels. Yeah. Let's see now. The pilot, um, and uh, apparently it was a business aircraft, the pilot and company air officials at the scene refused comment. The pilot and three passengers were on board for a regular trip uh, to a place that blood vein first nation. All right. When the airplane lost power, um, and like a- the plane landed on a highway coasted to a stop, uh, and then it was pushed off the road. So, uh, so aside from almost taking out our friend Carrie, uh, it was a, a good, good, uh, force landing and, uh, and we congratulate them, and we congratulate everybody. And so if you see Kerry driving on the road, turn yeah. around and drive the other way. Cause well, no, that or just keep your eyes open. You know, look around, you know, make sure you look behind you, check the rearview mirror. Maybe Kerry should have wear one of those GPS bracelets so we always know where he is or something. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So here's a video. You have a little moving, you know, moving TFR on the moving maps. This is Carrie. You know, this this is a good place to have an emergency land. That's right. This is don't fly near here because you may need to land. Don't, don't fly he here. Is, don't, there must be yeah. runway available. Yeah, that's right. Don't fly near this guy unless you really, really need an emergency landing strip. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, you're good. That's right. That's right. 
So here's a video that's been all over the internet the last couple of days, uh, and uh, I'm not even sure why we're bringing it up because well, it's kind of cool. Everybody should take a look at it, but it's um, it, it's tight. This is a YouTube video. It's it's, it's t- you know moderately well done. It's 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 entertaining. Yeah, the best air race pilot ever is the title, and it shows a uh, what 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 kind of airplane is that? I don't really recognize it. Uh, I don't know either. I, I don't know if it's an extra or uh, an edge or what it is. Yeah, it's like that. It's a a low. Right. So monoplane aerobatic. Right. Low wing monoplane, uh, uh, tail dragger, fixed gear. like an extra type aircraft, right? So, um, and so the YouTube video shows it flying along, making kind of a low pass, and uh, and then all of a sudden, one of the wings completely departs the aircraft. All right, and instead of instantly spiraling to the ground, which is what most pilots would imagine would happen, uh, we see this aircraft sort of continuing to climb and sort of stay roughly in control, and then kind of going into knife edge flight, I guess is the best way to describe it, and then executing a really sudden kind of roll over to level landing and roll out and and you see people running towards the aircraft and it's kind of an interesting piece of video i mean it just has to not be i mean let's just be clear here all right this is not a real airplane we we don't believe that the uh the the aircraft that disintegrated is a real airplane yeah somewhere in there the transition was made via the magic of digital I'm sure. but it was done very well it's very very it was it was, it was, done, it was well. done and there's some talent involved here not only in in flying the rc airplane but in, in doing the video editing etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. russ niles over at over at avweb um has a blog post on the it's uh, avweb.com slash blogs slash insider uh dated october 30 uh he's got a pretty good blog post on this and and uh uh, you know some of the things that he and his staff have, have found on this. So the engine noises are out of sync. Right. Um, the wing falls off in what is otherwise a routine snap roll. You know, with a question mark, what's what's going on with that? Uh, the shadows kind of disappear and reappear mm-hmm. on the ground during the quote landing. Oh, unquote. it sounds like he's done, done some good analysis on yeah, this they, thing. Yeah, they, they've really kind of been through this, and and uh, you know, and the first time I saw it, I wasn't even that. Uh, tuned into all the the visual uh, issues, the the uh, technical issues, if you will, but it just it just struck me. I mean, one thing it proves is you can if you have enough power, you can fly a brick. Yeah. Uh, well, this assumes it's even an RC aircraft. I'm not convinced it's an RC aircraft. I well, I, I I'm you know it's it's not. Uh, the first time I saw it, it looked kind of like a simulation. Yeah, I, I'm tempted to think that it's something yeah. it, uh, that it's a movie that came out of like you know uh, X Plane or or, or Flight very, Simulator. Yeah, it was very uh, digital, if you like, for lack of a better yeah. term. I didn't chase any of them down like I should have. I was kind of engaged in in work of a more compensatory nature. Uh, <laughs> and. Uh, a friend of mine in D.C. sent me three or four links from model aircraft fly-ons uh-huh. and showed where there had been uh, failures on some of these RC models doing aerobatic flight, where the controller was actually able to land the aircraft uh-huh. with you know pretty much a stub on one side and the full wing on the other. And a couple of the notable differences that he mentioned was the uh, uh, much lower torque level Right. On a small gas engine, two cycle engine, uh, fairly low mass. It's there mostly to move air, right? 
uh, and the size of the wing and the fact that they generally had full span ailerons on these aerobatic airplanes. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, you know, what would make it conceivable in the hands of somebody really good in a model airplane. Mm-hmm. But then you put into play the size of the prop, the mass, the inertia, the torque of the engine, uh, and the fact that we know that this has happened to other aircraft from with really good pilots and really good controls, and they weren't able to pull it out. Yeah. So it was very creative, very creative piece of work. But you know, it's like, uh, oh man, there's a future Spielberg or 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 well, uh, one of the yeah, special exa- effects guys. Exactly right. I mean, and I'm not, we're not saying that these guys aren't talented. Right. Uh, no, no, no. But but we don't necessarily buy the uh, what we're what we're what we're being sold here. Uh, Russ uh, goes into some additional detail here. There's also a video on the net, um, supposedly, of the pilot uh, mm-hmm. who was flying the aircraft when the wing came off. Uh-huh. And um, he's he's the punchline is this is a uh, basically a, a, a some kind of a guerrilla advertising campaign by a European-based clothing. Uh, manufacturer, hmm. uh, which in, in, you can you can surf around, and I, I will will try to dig out some links here and, and put them in the show notes for uh, um, by the by the time, of course, this hits the uh, <laughs> this hits the 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 uh, uh, website, it'll be old news. But uh, uh, I'm sorry, Jack. Yeah, I know. I'm just letting it go here. It's okay. I, I it's it's we'll dig all out right. Some web link, uh, some links and everything to uh, both the, uh, the the offending video and the uh, supposed video of the uh, the pilot talking about the episode. But you know, a couple, couple of things that I I thought of when I saw this is that, you know, first of all, you, you got enough power you can fly anything, and and you know, the the AV8 Harrier proves that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Secondly, um, if you've got enough aileron authority and you're able to control airspeed. You can control the aircraft, the airplane, I should say, if a wing comes off. Um, and and I, the, the the RC pilot, we're going to just go with the flow here and, and, and think that it's an RC pilot. The RC pilot here is, has got some skill. Mm-hmm. There's no question yeah. about that. Yeah, uh, whether, in fact, whether, it was an RC pilot. The other argument that yeah. I heard posited was that... Yeah. They digitally blew the wing off, and it's right. really got both wings through everything else we see. Which they is, just masked it out of the shot. Oh, okay. There, there's there's that, and then there's the the X wing or flight simulator, uh, um, um, totally totally digital until you know it hits the ground, kind yeah. of thing. And and when it hits the ground itself, uh, the the way it hits the ground. Um, in a real airplane, I think the landing gear would come up through the wing. Yeah, it did hit hard. It, it, it rotated uh, around. You know. down in my mind, it would bounce. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it might it, take it, it might take a lot of compression in those spring yeah. gear, but it would definitely be back off the runway right. for at least one cycle. Yeah, right, right. Yep. So I you know there's there's a lot going on here. Uh, it's very interesting. It's a diversion though. Yeah. Uh, it, it, this stuff but don't really go happen. out thinking that you can rip a wing off and fly it uh-huh. home. If uh-huh. you do that, don't come flying home to us. If yeah. you do that, take a parachute. 
Yeah, there you go. A picture. There you go. And a picture. And yeah. someone on the ground with video camera. Yeah. And you can and you too can be famous on YouTube. And we will talk about you. That's right. That's right. After you're gone. That's right. Or or not. This next one is a uh, is a quick fall. I think it's going to be quick. Well, time will tell. Yeah, um, is a, no, no. I'm I'm jumping back a couple steps here. Oh. Uh, is a uh, is a follow up on a thing we talked about in the past. Now I'm trying to remember. This was the uh, the big airliner that uh, that British aerospace. Uh, I'm British aerospace. Uh, British Airways. Yeah. Triple that seven. that had uh, fuel like, problems in flight. Yeah. Right. And the speculation was that it had to do with the temperature of the fuel. Um, and we've talked about that off and on a lot, and I'm not sure there's more, much more to add to that from us. I just wanted to call attention to the fact, though, that one of, the list, one of our listeners has posted in the forums um, an interesting uh, a, a bit of information. turns out he is a, a, a pilot or an aircrew member on one of these types of aircraft. And uh, let me just kind of read this posting real quickly. This is from Tracy in the forums. And Tracy writes, I realize that by now this is an old subject. Subject, but I thought I'd throw out uh, the fuel temperature numbers that I watched on my last long-haul flight. He said, we started out in the eastern U.S. and flew to Japan. Total flight time was just under 13 hours. Uh, the, at departure time, uh, 1830 Zulu, uh, we had 333,000 pounds of fuel in the tanks, and the main tank fuel temperature was plus 13 centigrade. And then he talks about um, at 1930 at flight level, 1930 Zulu at flight level 320, uh, that was minus eight, uh, and then at 2100 Zulu, at uh, he had. 256,000 pounds at minus 16. He goes on a little bit later on that the temperature was minus 28 uh, centigrade, and at that time, he was at flight level 320 and the outside air temperature was minus 61 centigrade. Uh, And then the the last was, you know, um, and then a little bit later on, the fuel was minus 31 centigrade. Minus 31 is pretty cold. That's, that's Fukin cold. <laughs> yeah. Um, at that moment, the outside... It's getting really close to the... Uh, yeah. Uh, at, at that moment, the... That stuff stops moving. Yeah. At, at that moment, the outside air temperature was minus 58 centigrade. Um, and then he has one more data point. Um, apparently, he didn't. He, they go on breaks, multiple crews for these long hauls, and so he went out of the cockpit at this point. But he, one other data point was uh, a little bit towards the end of the flight when um, it was minus 32 centigrade. That was at flight level 380 when the outside air ter- temperature was minus 64 centigrade. So uh, he says he says uh, our route that day had taken us as far as 72 degrees north latitude. That's north of Barrow, Alaska. Although I can't imagine that really is all that relevant to the temperature more it more has to do with the, how high they were he finally says the lowest temperature our fuel reached was minus 32 centigrade uh, he says that's still five degrees from our minimum allowable temperature so i don't know i, I minus 40 it stops it, it turns into goo it, yeah. it stops flowing it's right. freezing and that's here's the question is yeah what do they what do they do when they get to um his, his min temperature is thirty minus thirty seven C. What do they do when they get to minus thirty six? Uh, well, they probably have to change altitude. I mean, you're, I don't know if you're joking or not. You know, they got to change altitude. Yeah, they got to change altitude, or maybe they've got uh, an extra suit. They put the heater on eleven or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> they, they, put it, they put it on eleven. That's exactly right. Yeah, but uh, interesting data. We appreciate. Uh, thank yeah. Tracy yeah, for. Thank uh, you, Tracy. We'd love to hear more yeah. about. Uh, uh, these kinds of operations, and uh, thank yeah, you for quick posting. Quiz. This is, Thirty yeah. minus forty Celsius is how cold in Fahrenheit? <laughs> like he said, it's just fucking yeah, cold. It's just there. what is it? One fifty? One twenty? Minus forty Celsius and minus forty 
Fahrenheit. It's where the lines cross on the temperature okay. chart. Well, what's minus down. 64 centigrade? Uh, too cold for me. Yeah. <laughs> too fucking cold. Too, too cold. Too cold. Uh, um, all right. Burr. Yeah. What's next here? So, uh, so here I want to tell you a little bit about. So I've been I, I've been taking some really cool flights lately. Dave, Dave, Dave. Yeah. He's avoiding everything. He's waiting. He's waiting until we're almost out of time. You notice this? What the TSA stuff? You mean? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't. Well, anyways, we have oh so much to add to this subject. No, we're not in a run out of time. We still, we still got some time here. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, I, I discovered, I learned something about my flying recently, um, and that is that uh, I, I scared myself pretty good. All right. And what did you do? What did you, and, whoa, whoa, back up. What did you do? And this is what I did. Um, uh, about two weekends ago, I believe it was two weekends ago on Sunday, um, I was out flying the the uh, the FBO's 150 that I've been talking about here, and I was just kind of flying around the area looking at the scenery and i went and landed flew out of skyhaven and flew down and looked at uh, some stuff in the area some scenery and then went over to concord new hampshire and did a landing there and then the plan was to fly from concord up to laconia which is right on the edge of lake winnipesaukee and then from there fly back to skyhaven now here's what happened um, everyone's heard of, of get homeitis, and, uh-huh. and, and we're all, all taught to be aware of get homeitis, which is the urge to fl- get home even when the circumstances say you shouldn't. Homesick uh, Angel Express. I've discovered a new one. I've discovered a new one, which is get goingitis. And here's what happened: um, is that they keep this 150 is used primarily for training. Um, so you've got a student and a relatively, um, you know, kind of good-sized guy uh, flight instructor. And as a result, they keep the tanks at about half full on this 150. So, uh, and that works just fine. They go out and do, you know, an hour or so of a flight training, and that's plenty of gas for that, and it leaves them plenty of weight to work with, all right? So that works well. So now I'm taking the airplane, and I'm going to go out and just go sightseeing. And he says to me when I'm picking it up, he says it's got a half tank in it, half tanks, uh, and if you want to add gas, you can do that, and, and here's the, you know, the club credit card so you can pump gas. And so I went out and looked at it and confirmed that it was had, in fact, had half tanks, and uh, I'm only planning on going flying myself for about an hour. So I'm thinking if I add fuel to this airplane, I'm just, you know, kind of adding weight that I've got to carry around and it's not really going to serve me. So I decide not to add gas. So I go take off and I fly up to Concord and I land and, and have fun at Concord and then I take off at Concord and I'm headed north up towards Laconia and as I'm cruising across the landscape towards Laconia, I glance down at the fuel gauges and I'm realizing that the left tank is indicating like well below one quarter tank. All right, and I'm watching it kind of and I'm going, oh crap, what the heck is going on here? Is you it know, 150. Yeah. All right, and and so part of me's going, listen, these gauges are notoriously unreliable. And it's just, you know, you, you check the tanks, you know how much fuel you had, you should have enough fuel, it should be fine, but and I'm watching... The slope is getting slippier. Yeah, exactly, you know, and so I'm watching this thing... Did I lean this correctly? Yeah, exactly, you know. How cold is it today? How dense is the air? And so I'm, I'm flying along, and I'm thinking, oh, man, now, you know, and so... How and, dense is the air? Hell, how dense is the pilot? Right, true? right, exactly. So so I'm flying along, watching this thing, and I'm going, you know, is what I'm thinking of all the different possibilities. Is there something really going on here? Is uh, is maybe there's some problem that it's not feeding from both tanks? You know, maybe it's only feeding from the left tank, and that's why I'm using the left tank faster. Uh, or you know, what the heck is going on here? You know, yeah. And so so I'm thinking to myself. 
and but now Laconia is the closest airport. It's not like I've really got any options here. All right, so I just figure I'm going to fly to Laconia, and uh, and I actually decided, and I don't know whether this makes any sense or not, but I, I got nervous about um, unporting unporting one of the tanks during during flying the the approach into this airport, and so instead of flying my nice orderly you know overhead fly out come back on the 45 downwind base final, I kind of just do an entry into into left downwind and land and i somehow thought that that might be safer and i got on the ground and everything was fine all right but i really made myself nervous there for a while yeah. and uh and, and you too yeah and so and 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 make no mistake um i i immediately went into the fbo and said you still got gas here today right because it was late on a sunday afternoon they said oh yeah and so i i topped off the tanks and uh and was a very happy camper doing the rest of my flight home but i've just discovered that this is a new you know a new itis which is uh get going itis because that was really my issue i mean i guess i really i thought you know i'm going to be adding weight and i'm really just carrying around this extra weight but a big part of it was i wanted to go flying aviation safety magazine wanted to go flying all right and i said i've got enough gas for what i'm going to do it's just going to take me another 15 minutes to add this fuel i'm not going to do it and 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 i'm flying and along plan, and then your plan changed <clears throat> yeah and so i you know it's just it's a lesson learned for me is that this, there's there's not just well, get home itis it really there's, wasn't your initial decision it was your uh, secondary decision and not correcting the first decision when you made the new decision yeah. you made a new decision not to just go up there and turn around and come back you made a decision to go up and then go farther up no no i yeah. i went there was, let, me, yeah. let, me ask, let me ask you a question yeah how long did it take to to top everything off uh when you did in fact top everything off oh of course it didn't take hardly any time at all you know i mean how it's, long would it have taken to top everything off before you took off the first time probably less time <laughs> and i wouldn't have had to pay for the gas out of my pocket either cuz so uh, what's what's my point yeah no i mean your point is is well taken uh and that's why i bring it up here and i confess to the crowd to the listeners is that uh is don't only beware of get home itis beware of get going itis is what i'm going to call it it's a very yeah. good point and, and and there's an old movie it's called uh um, the Big Chill. Yeah. And there's a conversation in the in the Big Chill. Uh, one characters. of my favorite movies of all time, but go ahead, one yeah. One of my favorite movies of all time. Um, um, two characters are talking, Jeff Goldblum character and the Tom... Uh, um, uh, I can't think of the... Excuse me, I can't think of the guy's name. <laughs> okay, yeah, there we go. Um, you bleep that out. Yeah, okay. Um, but they're talking about um, um, rationalizations. That's and right. Jeff Goldblum character says, <laughs> rationalizations are more important than sex. And the other character says, no, nothing's more important than sex. And and the Jeff Green, uh, Green Bloom, uh, Goldblum character says, uh, oh, yeah? When was the last time you went a week without a rationalization? <laughs> when was the last time you went a whole day without a rationalization? <laughs> yeah, that's right. that, too. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and, you know, that just... Tom it, Berenger. Tom Berenger's character. I was going to say Tom Benenson. I knew that wasn't right. Um but that's close. That, close, but I do it Tom B, Tom, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and let me just state for the record, I would give a major body part to fly with you sometime, Jack. Yeah? It would, it would really be, uh, 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 and you, for that matter, you too, Dave, because every time we've ever flown, I've been in the left seat. Yeah. Yeah, well, so, come on, I'm... Yeah, either, either of you. I, I would just give and a major I, body. But I always did my best to try to keep it interesting. Yeah, and and you did, and you did, and <laughs> and, and and I I tried to contribute after the first occasion where you kept it interesting. 
<laughs> yeah. I have I have tried to to you know hold up my end of that bargain. <laughs> well, come on up here. We'll go flying. I uh, or or I'll come down there or something like that. And uh, I'm about to I'm about to shift as I've been talking about. I'm about to shift FBOs here. My today was the final day. The OSPE. Uh, if I've been out of town, but I'm assuming everything went according to plan. And today would have been the final day for OSPE Aviation. And so that 150 is now off the line. And uh, I'm going to go up to uh, Sanford, Maine, to uh, introduce myself to that FBO and fly some of their airplanes. But that 150's uh, got to belong to somebody. You know, they're talking about breaking it up for parts. It's very very sad. Oh no way! Yeah. 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 What do they want for it? I uh, that the twenty two was the last asking price. I think. I think it's. I think it's too much money. Twenty two is too much money if if the alternative is is uh, parting it out. But we can talk about this. We have talked about this in the past. We can talk about it some more today, or we can talk about it some more next week or the weeks after. But this is just a horrendously good time to buy an airplane. Um, my airplane, if you, if you go and look, look at the blue book, um, my airplane's probably lost 30% of its or more of its value in the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm told, I haven't researched this directly personally, I'm told that Cirrus SR-22s are going in the low hundreds now. Yeah. Yeah, the early ones. Uh, yeah. I saw one going for 143. Yeah. Yeah, well, if, if they're all, you know, here, here's the trick. There's a bunch of them on the market, okay? Yep. A. B, they're all the same. You know, mm-hmm. they might have different well, stripes. Yes, they you, might have a different you, interior. Yeah, largely are. If you didn't, they, they the, largely the, are the differences the G2 and G3 are largely uh, structural and not right. something that you'd see. Well, even an early one versus a, a, a G2 or, or whatever, you know, they're basically all the same. They're going to go about the same speed. They might have, you know, some some, some small differences. You, as much as I, but, as much as I, you know, I think they're all, Comanche, they're all, yeah. If, a, if, if an SR twenty, if I found an SR twenty right. down in the one ten one twenty range, like well, I expect I, they're going to get, that uh, that would be an enormous temptation. I, you need to check. You need to check real closely because I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to be able to find an SR twenty these days for not much money. The maybe, flip side, maybe even five figures. The flip side of this coin, though, is uh, is it nearly impossible to borrow money to buy an airplane right now? No. Well, no. no, it's not. It's not. If if you've got some cash laying around, uh, yeah. now's a great time to buy an airplane. Yeah, I, I considered it real real carefully, but I just um, you know, plus I think it's overpriced. I, you know, if he was if he was asking down in the high teens, I'd start thinking about it pretty seriously. But I, it just strikes me that twenty two is too much for this particular airplane. Twenty two is too much for for an older one fifty. It might not be too much for a one fifty two, right? Depending on how clean it is. Uh, uh, but it's, it's a, a bit much for a one fifty. Well, yeah, and the, yeah, yeah, and the panel is very simple on this one. Anyways, um, we should well, move on because we are you're doing a whole lot of hard IFR in a 150 or 152 either way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'll give you a handheld GPS. I know. I've heard. I'm gonna. <laughs> we'll talk. What else do we have to talk? Right we'll talk. Right oh. David, David, tell us about EAA's Earning My Wings blog. That sounds pretty cool. Yes, I is he. We're getting there. That's a young man. Uh, We're getting there, De- Jeb. Their, uh, uh, media. <laughs> He, they call him a multimedia journalist, uh, uh, Brady, and he does the video blogs and things that you see on the website. And uh, he recently, 
earned his sport pilot license, and he did a, a, a series of little uh, blogs, entries, and video in relation to the whole process of him getting his uh, sport pilot license, uh, earning that wings, a video blog about learning to fly, and uh, the... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff here. It would be useful to about anybody that's considering doing this or has somebody in mind that might be considering doing this, uh, somebody that would want to uh, uh, take a look at how another person progressed through it and see some of the steps. Uh, I found it kind of interesting and, and thought it would be useful uh, not only for the newbies but for some of us old hands to to read and absorb a little bit uh, because there's all that enthusiasm there for one thing. And uh, a pretty nice uh, overview of his whole learning experience. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Some good that stuff is, here. That is very cool. Uh, and and more not, more of course, to replace not, of course, to replace the training, but to give you kind of a flavor of what's involved and and you know kind of yeah. prepare the ground, so to speak, um, for yeah, your for your flight you training. Know, one, one pilot's experiences. Brady right. Lane's the young man's name. Uh, met him briefly at Air Venture this year. They had him busy running all over the place just like the rest of us. Was he the uh, intern? Yeah, that, he looks familiar. He was on staff this summer? Yeah. Yeah, he was one of the staffers, right. Okay. Um, well, that's great. Yeah, we should, you should take a look at this. It's at EAA.org. Uh, of course, go to the show notes, but let me see if I can give it to you online, uh, on the, on the, here verbally. EAA.org slash... This is an in-progress thing for Brady. Too. Yeah. I mean, he's not finished it all up and done all of his stuff. Uh, he's kind of bringing us in at the very beginning of his uh, training and keeping track of what he's done, how long it's been since he started, what he's spending so far, and uh-huh. how he's spending it. So, uh, uh, very like good. Said, there's there's some uh, there's some worthwhile information and, and, and some stuff worth watching here. Yeah, good. yeah, and the uh, the, good the for, URL good for EAA for for doing this kind of yeah. thing. That's, the, that's very worthwhile. The uh, the URL is eaa.org slash apps, A-P-P-S, slash blog, slash learn to fly. And uh, that should get you there. Um, or, or check our show notes. Or just go to the eaa.org page, and there's probably some more information there on their homepage. Um, some cool stuff. Moving on here. You guys are chomping at the bit to talk about TSA. So, okay, what's going on with TSA? I've been out of touch here. I don't know whether there's anything new, but... Uh, T- TSA? Was there anything going on with TSA this week? Okay, you've been just, like, oh, kicking... Other than, you know, their, uh, um, they're, they're, they're trashing of the constitutional, constitutional rights say, and uh, yeah, yeah. inject a, uh, a, a, a no, right to search and investigate and track where we're going with yeah, that's, cause. Yeah, that's Nothing it. Nothing going yeah. on there. Nothing going on. No, seriously. Okay, so first of all, Dave, David, Dave, you posted something called Dave, they did. Knock yourself out. Yeah, go for it, David. David, you posted something. First of all, it says they did it. Now, by that, do you mean they finally posted the NPRM? They published the NPRM, uh, believe it was yesterday. And this is for the LASP, the, the Light Aircraft, large aircraft, large aircraft. Program, where they say that now that they've secured the airline industry, that uh, they're concerned that terrorists might turn their attention to large private aircraft, right. large in their view being uh, starting at the same weight depth uh, departure point right. that the FAA uses to define large aircraft. Right. They want to do for pounds. private aircraft what they've done to the airline industry. 
Yeah, okay, exactly. Now, here's my question. So has the the actual published NPRM, does it have any notable changes from the what we heard since after MBAA? I have not found I, it. I have okay. not seen any yet. And so they didn't back off on... I'm just working on a, on a, a pretty direct comparison, and I expect to hear something from him a couple of days into next week. Okay. This is 260 pages approximately, so you, you, you don't... The Federal Register. Yeah. The Federal Register document is sixty-seven pages. Yeah. Okay. That's, oh, is that all it is? that's basically six-point type. Yeah. Sixty-seven pages of it. So it's right. been published, which means pages was eight and a half by eleven paper. Right. It's been published, which means now we can officially uh, uh, submit our comments. All right, and. Uh, Start okay. the process, right? Okay. Um, what are these other two items here, David? It says TSA 2, it says, and this is what the GA boss has to say to AIN. Well, the, uh, the, the lady that is, uh, is kind of the overseer of the general aviation security efforts at the Transportation Security Administration uh, talked to Aviation International News this week, and on their AIN alerts earlier this week, they... Uh, they offered uh, a little glimpse into her comments, and the, it pretty well portrays the, the feeling of the uh, TSA that, that uh, there's some uh, uh, security to be gained by forcing people who fly private aircraft to go through security check, background check to fly their own aircraft. Uh, this, you know, has a de facto new licensing requirement effect on anybody flying an aircraft of that size. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're a foreign student coming into the United States to train, you've got to go through this. But American citizens have always been presumed to uh, have the right to move around and use their own property and their own uh, uh, equipment without government interference. And that's a challenge here. So uh, her comments, I'm going to leave those for folks to visit and read through the link. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we'll also have a link to some of the... Uh, some of the pro- reactions to this proposal um, via folks like AOPA and NBAA. Uh, and most of you will have heard about this and the reaction to it by the time you uh, actually hear this on the podcast. Uh, so I'm just going to leave it short and simple here. This okay. is insanity, and it, it, it needs to be stopped. Yeah, it is insanity, and here's here's why it's insanity. Uh, there, there's two... Or, or, or I might get a, to a third provision here that, that just make this um, unacceptable is a mild term to it that applies here. You are so but, kind. But the, the, the two provisions that, that make this uh, um, unacceptable, first is what is basically a preclearance procedure. The TSA um, would have private aircraft owners, uh, excuse me, private aircraft operators submit to a government uh, approved entity, not necessarily a, a, a specific government agency, but perhaps a third party entity. Oh, no, they're planning on this being third party and they have to approve the contract. I'm, try, I'm trying to, to give that. the so, benefit of the doubt here. I'm, I'm trying no, not to be too... No, they've said so, they've said so in I know, I know, I know. <laughs> okay, um, go ahead, Jeb. Um, the passenger manifest for this flight, this proposed flight, and 
they the the federal government through this either directly or through this third party entity would approve or deny this passenger manifest so in other words um the federal government is telling you the aircraft operator whether or not you can take certain people on your own property and 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 fly them from point a to point b this is directly comparable to having a recreational vehicle and or some other heavy vehicle, let's say a, a Humvee, and being forced by the federal government or some other entity to approve who you might put into that surface vehicle. It's there's no there's no difference. There's no functional no, there's no, there's no legal there's, there's well, no there's no legal. There, there's no precedent for it, but there's no functional, nor is there a legal difference between what the TSA wants vis-a-vis aircraft and 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 what I just described vis-a-vis of, uh, uh, an automobile. Okay. Right. Seriously. You know. Second, secondly, and this is the one that has has not really risen to the the top of the pile. In, in everything I've seen from, from the alphabet soup. But also involved here is the TSA shall uh, reserve the right. I'll find the exact phrase here while I'm talking. Uh, I pulled this out uh, earlier today. The TSA will um, decide when and under what circumstances the private operator must carry a federal air marshal and how <laughs> many air marshals must be carried at, at the TSA's sole discretion. Yeah, this is at uh, Dan Greider's DC3 school is going to have to have... Excuse me, but Whiskey yeah. Tango Foxtrot. Yeah, we really? did this last week. It, it, yeah. the, uh, the requirement puts you, the operator, the aircraft owner, the pilot in command in the position of trying to decide whether to kick mama off the airplane right. or make an extra fuel stop, if you can make the trip at all once you've, yeah. you know, once you've taken on board the, uh, yeah. and of course, nobody's, nobody's going to realize that this guy's an air marshal. Of course, they're oh, always no. anonymous, right? Just the idea of a stranger showing up carrying <laughs> a weapon is going to be, nobody's going to notice that. No, absolutely Jesus. not. Absolutely not. No, no okay. one could notice this at all. This is just, it's almost farcical. This is a bad Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah. Oh, this is, no, this is a bad uh, horror movie sketch. This is, well, a, this, is a, this is a fascist nightmare idea. It came out just in time for Halloween. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's, now, we're not talking about your average Cessna 150 or your, your Cherokee or your Bonanza not or your Seneca. Not yet. What we're talking about here is what, is what the FAA calls large aircraft. Those with a maximum gross takeoff weight of 12,500 pounds or more. This includes King Air 300 and 350s. I, w- I, w- I think uh, all, most Learjets, if not all of them, even the older ones, um, Citation 2s. Um, and everything above that. Now, this doesn't involve your Bonanza. This doesn't involve your Skyhawk. Yet. But yet is the operative term, operative response. This is the camel's nose in the tent. Actually, this is the camel's shoulders in the tent. Right, and, and the, the, the logic 
presented no logic and introduced this idea, their attempted logic at, at, at producing this idea is that to further enhance the security of aviation. <laughs> We've decided that we're going to pick on these private operators that operate aircraft up in the realm that commercial operators could operate aircraft, uh, where there are already rules in effect for charter and, and, and scheduled carriers with aircraft weighing 12,501 pounds and more. So the, the, and this isn't being paranoid. This is just watching the functional evolution of a dysfunctional bureaucracy. Is that once they've enhanced to the maximum degree out of any u real utility or freedom to move, people with 12,501 pound and heavier aircraft, then there becomes, uh, a, you know, a, a logic that terrorists may decide to target smaller aircraft. So to further enhance the security of aviation, we now need to take this down to 6,000 pounds. And once we get it to 6,000 pounds, there is no interruption of the logic, the attempted logic that says, well, to further enhance this, they could enhance aviation right out of, private aviation right out of existence right. in a very short period of time. Yeah. Well, I think we're preaching to the choir a little bit here on the podcast. Um, here, the point here, the point here, well, yeah, go ahead. What's the punchline? Sorry. Um, the punchline here is twofold. One, uh, we, we've talked about this in the past with the caveat that it wasn't formally proposed. Remove that caveat. This has been formally proposed. It is formally published. And it as is now of time to formally oppose it and formally as of, as of it. Yeah, as of yesterday, uh, October 30th, it would appear in the Federal Register. Uh, it is time to pick up pen and pencil or pick up mouse and respond to this. Um, the, the proposal comes out with a 60-day comment period. Um, and um, the first thing out of the box that must be accomplished is to extend the comment period. Uh, that yeah. sounds like a it sounds like a, a typical Washington thing. It sounds like a typical uh, delaying the inevitable thing, but it's not. This affords all of us, not just the alphabet soup, but but Joe Blow and 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 everybody else, some additional time to consider what this proposal would the impact this proposal would have. Sixty days is not enough time. There should be at least another 60 days for a total of 120. So that's the first thing. And, and we'll put some links up on the, uh, on the website in the show notes uh, for links to how to um, formally request a, an extension of this comment period. The second thing is to respond to the provision. We'll put a link to the, to the final document, yada, yada, yada. Um, uh, but respond to the specifics of the proposal. There's a lot of people out listening to this podcast and regular subscribers who either operate or ride on aircraft that would be impacted by this. Um, and they themselves would be individually impacted by this. There are, uh, e even the uh, benign um, uh, estimate of 300 airports nationwide that would be impacted by this. Basically, any airport long enough to handle, any, any airport with a runway long enough to handle an aircraft weighing more than 12,500 pounds, 
which means if you can, you know, get a King Air 350 in and out of uh, uh, 3,500 feet, your imp- yep. your airport is impacted by this. No, well, Palo Alto, in fact, we, it was 25, and we exactly. we had we had exactly. King Airs that operated in there all the time. Well, it might have been 100s, might have been uh, you know 200s. Um, the heavier King, the, the, the King Air 100 and 200 don't weigh more than 12,500 pounds. I no, see. They, they so so they themselves, those specific models, right. uh, would not be impacted unless they've been STC'd with a mod that gives them a higher yeah. gross weight. Or, you know, I'm not going to get into that. Yeah. The point but being, it's important point, to comment on this even if you fly being, small airplanes. The point being that this could affect far more people than just the operators of these aircraft. It can definitely affect you and me and everybody on this podcast and everybody listening to this podcast because of the airport-specific requirements that are involved in this rule. If, if for example, you want to go, you, you live at Podunk, you, you live near Podunk Regional that doesn't have, for example, a 24-hour law enforcement presence on the airport, and you want to get to your hangar some morning for a pre-dawn departure – you might be SOL. Yeah. And, yep. and that's, that's what we're talking about here. And this does or get only into con- be allowed to do it with, uh, by calling in and arranging for early right. arrival of somebody to show up at, at exactly. possibly additional and, and, cost. And, and you the, would have the, to the pay for The basic problem that. here is that there is no justification for this. Right. Not only right. is there no justification, there's no threat. Yeah, it won't work. It won't accomplish the goal. These aircraft don't pose a threat. They have never posed a threat. And the TSA itself has not identified a threat posed by these aircraft. Ask them. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Let's. Uh, so um, check out, if you don't know how to get to uh, places where you can post comments, check the uh, show notes and we'll we'll put some information there. Um, sorry to jump, but we got to move on yeah. here. It's really important, yeah. but we do need to move on we, here. It is very important. We will re- revisit this topic. Yeah, <laughs> that probably goes without uh, saying. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Jack. Yeah. Uh, David, there's news from Adam Aircraft. Unfortunately, the, what is now called... AAI Acquisitions, Inc. That's Adam Aircraft Industries Acquisitions, Inc. The lawyers decided that that had to be the name. Uh, uh, received a nice big check, chunk of investment money uh, from uh, mostly from Russia uh, as of NBAA and visiting with the uh, uh, the head of the company, uh, old buddy Jack Brawley. They were rehiring staff out in Colorado and they were spooling activity back up and uh, getting ready to make sure that all the flight test points that had been accomplished on the A700 Very Light Jet Certification Program uh, would still count, and they could pick up the program from there. Uh, The financial crisis, the credit crisis, uh, the investment money crunch that uh, most of us have probably heard about in the last few weeks (laughs) kind of came home to roost for AAI Acquisitions, Inc., and they are basically in the process of reversing course, uh, letting go some of the people that they just brought back. That was over 100, if I remember correctly, from Jack. Uh, and taking the company back down to the minimal staff level necessary just to keep the paperwork intact. Uh, and while they try to ride this out and see what uh, happens to the market and finances in the next few months, uh, they had hoped to start delivering airplanes in the uh, mid-2010 time frame. 
that now is off the table. And this may not be the end of the bloodletting that we see in the very light jet segment. Yeah, exactly. So so in what is maybe more significant, or at least juicier news, I guess, um, is uh, this is a story that Dave pointed us to from forecastinternational.com. I'll just read the first paragraph here. In a new report to be issued in December, Forecast International has projected that production of the Eclipse 500 will soon end. The Connecticut-based market research firm believes that the aircraft's manufacturer, Eclipse Aviation, will not attract new investment necessary to allow it to continue making the aircraft beyond the first quarter of 2009. So that's a pretty... That's not the only outfit making this prediction. Uh, The analyst, very well, highly regarded gentleman, Richard Abulafia of uh, of, uh, the uh, Teal Group. Group, uh, basically is making the same statement with, on the same ar- based on the same arguments uh, in a uh, program briefing that uh, he issued in October and uh, he doesn't consider the outlook for this uh, very good either yeah no, this is his, I mean uh, very sad for for you know people who have who who made a commitment to this aircraft well what does it mean to the rest of us I mean you know so what well well it you know, it's it's for the vast majority of us that listen to this podcast and, and can afford to own and operate an aircraft. Of course, it doesn't mean anything much except, uh, you know, we always hate to see a, a promising concept or a promising idea or a promising product go away. And in this case, the concept's not going to go away. Very light jets are around to stay. Uh, the product in this case, uh, I have a hard time believing that it will disappear ultimately although it may not uh, continue under the uh, uh, under the uh, corporate heading of Eclipse aircraft as it exists now uh, if what these forecasters predict it may well go through its own reorganization and emerge with a different name and a clean financial slate and a lot of worthy assets type certificate production tooling aircraft uh, parts and and uh, enforceable orders and uh, emerge having basically scrubbed clean all the debt that it's got and be able to put the program back together at a, uh, a, a price where the aircraft will sell. And that's one of a number of elements that are working against it right now. <laughs> Do we know what happens to all the deposits? We um, don't. Um, the problem is... Um the, the eclipse or what will become eclipse or what has become eclipse um, is is if if you go through this teal report um, document uh, it's it's fairly detailed it's it's kind of a, a history of the eclipse program it is very damning and in fact the uh, the conclusion uh, I'll read really quickly part of the conclusion here uh, the the evaluation as they call it from the teal group. Quote, this program is the single worst aviation program Teal Group has ever covered. Whoa. It isn't the aircraft itself. Rather, it was a business plan that makes no sense except to attract investors who don't know much about the aviation business. Quote, unquote. Wow. Again, that's from the, the, uh, the Teal Group report. They are very, as I say, damning in their evaluation of the program. Um, 
will will the Eclipse product uh, uh, idea concept survive? Uh, I don't know. I truly don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I think you know. There's there's two hundred some odd aircraft out there, two fifty and change. Um, will they be making any more? Um, the Teal Group and uh, Forecast International say not after the first quarter of '09, calendar '09. Um, the, the concept is sound, i.e., a small, light, uh, highly automated uh, personal jet or or a jet that is it is used in in air taxi service, probably. Um, does it have the uh, the uh, market buzz, the the capacity to penetrate the market that Eclipse has sold? Probably not. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the numbers just don't add up. And and uh, uh, whether you believe the Teal Group, whether you believe Forecast International, whether you believe Eclipse, whether you believe anybody else, um, it's it's uh, it's it's a sad. Uh, turn of events. You know, a lot of people were were skeptical about this aircraft and the company, um, but um, a lot of people at the same time, through their skepticism, wanted to see this succeed, if if for no other reason than the love of aviation. And I kind of count myself at least in the latter, perhaps not the former, but at least in the latter uh, group. Um, it's a sad turn of events. Um, but it's um, so typical of some of the things that have happened in aviation over the years. I'm not going to use any names or, or uh, any right. model numbers or anything like that. But uh, here we go again. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Pretty sad. I mean, you know, I, we, no one should forget, though, that Eclipse was a success in that they pioneered a new segment. And uh, No question uh, about it. No denying that. No denying you know, that. And uh, and although it's sad that the the business might might go away, um, and that these folks who may have deposits might get burned, um, you know you got to hand it to them for for stepping up and and you know kind of inventing this whole idea. I mean maybe it would have been invented anyways, but they certainly stepped up and said this is a good idea. And a lot of people said, yeah, it is. We're going to do it too. Well, and 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 the idea isn't a bad one. And in fact, I think you'll see over the next few years, Cessna and Embraer demonstrate that it's a great idea yeah yeah okay well pretty interesting we'll follow this what are you laughing about out there on your cell phone Uh, (laughs) i'm just uh reading something a little bit later in avalafia's what what and then we're going to move on in that it should be noted that there might be a good aircraft hiding under eclipse's deceptive business plan (laughs) oh man (laughs) tell us what you really think Uh, yeah anyways unlike most of the other failed vlj wannabes the ea 500 is actually an innovative small jet when fully matured it might be regarded as an impressive engineering achievement uh and that's where things, you know, that's where things well, stand. Is everybody it, I've talked to is, who has flown one of these, one of these Eclipse five hundreds. Let me let me be uh, a little bit more circumspect here. Um, has uh, said that it flies nice. That it's a right. it's and, a good solid air, air. Yeah, aerodynamically, it's a solid airplane. About its, its flying characteristics flown by hand. 
Yeah. Then you move on to its uh, uh, execution for the right. advanced systems platform that it was supposed to be. And here Abilafia says, uh, although many other pilots consider it a dysfunctional mass of parts flying in loose formation. So, you know, there's the alpha and omega of, of the world that it's in right now. And, uh, and you know, you, you can you can pick the first 250 uh, models of, or first 250 copies of just about any aircraft out there and, and probably find people who would say the same thing at both extremes. Yeah. Um, Oversold and under-delivered. And that's right. One of the more extreme yeah. examples in that's right. history. That's right. Worse than New Coke. <laughs> hey, yeah, I wouldn't go that, well, quite that far. And there's a there's a the record. That was Dave Higdon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. Uh, oh, Shoutouts. No. What do you What do you got? I, I want to talk about this uh, airship. This is cool. This is in the news over the last couple of days. Uh, real quickly, uh, the, an outfit um, that I've been hearing a bit about over the years, off and on, was trying to put together a plan to build um, or, or acquire uh, new, newly manufactured airships, and excuse me, and use them for uh, sightseeing tours. And apparently, they've actually now started operation. Uh, if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, you can, for a fairly hefty price tag, can buy a sightseeing ride on a serious Zeppelin-built air, uh, uh, airship. I mean, this is a big thing, too. This is like they show some relative... This is bigger than a 747. I mean, this is a serious, serious airship. And apparently, they're operating now um, out of uh, Moffett Airfield, which is... Um, right down the road from Our my old pilot will was uh approached about doing some aerial photography of this oh i hadn't heard that yeah and, okay uh, yeah well, i did a little uh briefing for him on uh considerations <laughs> of shooting this when he asked me a little over a week ago uh-huh. apparently his participation did not come to pass after all and uh-huh. probably to the loss of the uh the people that are behind the uh the company but airship ventures uh, I think they've got about 12 seats per flight. Uh, you know, the thinner, the better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And the prices started about $500 a person. Yeah, it's a little pricey. Hours ride around the Bay Area. Here's my question, and I was trying to, I, I should read every word of this article that I'm looking at here, but is this a rigid airship or not yes. rigid? It is it's rigid. It's a rigid airship, yeah. Ooh. That's what a Zeppelin here, here's, is. Here's well, I know the old Zeppelins were, but I don't know if that's what they're manufacturing now. And here's what apparently. I was chortling about. If you, if you go to the link that's, that's kind of in our internal show notes here, yeah, and, and you scroll downward about halfway, there's a, uh, a heading Zeppelin NT relative scale. Right. Yeah, I know. Work your way down to the last. So they, uh, yeah, I know they, oh, they have a sense of humor. Areas. They have a sense of humor because they, they say they, first they have their airship, then that's a, then it is a bigger than a seven forty seven, which is bigger than the Goodyear blimp, which is bigger than the space shuttle, which is bigger than a giant squid. It says. I love it, I, but that's <laughs> so, a seven forty seven two hundred, not a four hundred. So who knows? Well, and you know the. Uh, Give it some perspective. The, the you know probably the most famous Zeppelin ever in aviation or human history, regardless, was the human. Oh, very good, Dave. That, I, okay. Yeah. yeah Seriously. I'm sorry. Burned at Lindenhurst, New Jersey, uh, decades ago, and this new Zeppelin NT is uh, about one quarter, a little over one quarter, the size. 
Yeah. Wow. The Hindenburg. Hindenburg wow. was approximately 800 feet long. So this is pretty cool. I'm not sure if I'm I'm not sure if I'm ready to invest five hundred dollars to ride in this thing. But at the very least, I'm going to go next time I'm out there. I'm going to go maybe, and sit by the airport should, you know, fence. Like put out a tip jar or something and yeah, just buy a ride. Yeah. So, anyways, that's kind of cool. That's the uh, the airship uh, airship ventures out of. Uh, apparently, they're flying both out of Mo- Moffett Field and a location up north of town. Um, Charles Schultz Airport, which I'm not sure which one that is, if that's Napa or Santa Rosa. I, I'm not sure, but uh, is that like cool stuff? Charles Schultz? It is, as a matter of fact. Charles, Charles Schultz, yeah, he lived up there for years before okay. he passed, and uh, so they've named one of the airports up there after him. Yeah. It sounds like a gas. Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, I think it's just a lot of hot air myself. Any other shout outs? None. After that, are you kidding? <laughs> All right, well, it's definitely time to stick a fork in this one. Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist. He's currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and you can learn more about Jeb and his work at jebburnside.com, also aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com. Yeah, it's sometimes harder than others. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer. He's also a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Learn more about Dave and his work at kitplanes.com or avbuyer.com slash worldaircraftsales, uh, or just Google his name and you can see a lot about all of his writing and his photographs and in his tennis game and his tennis game or somebody somebody named dave hitkins tennis game <laughs> and i am jack hodgson i'm a private pilot a freelance writer and a new media producer learn more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net big thanks uh, once again to scoffrey jet one of our listeners who's doing a great job putting together show notes also, thank you to all of our listeners who have submitted uh, disclaimer audio clips, and particularly to Mike Morgan, who continues to do great ones. Is another one that we're going to we're going to introduce in the next uh, few weeks or so. It's pretty cool. And also, don't forget to you can visit us all at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, you can check out the uh, AV, uh, uh, the uh, Universal Compendium of Aviation Knowledge. How's that? I know the UCAP Wiki, um, and all that stuff is at UncontrolledAirspace.com. So, anyways, that's enough talking. Let's let's go flying.